0: go to the Lord in prayer, and we will, we're going to finish chapter 9 of the book of Exodus tonight, so let's pray. <clears throat> Father, it's good to be in your house this evening. We thank you for the blessings of this day. This is the Lord's Day. We thank you for an opportunity to close out the Lord's Day in worship, celebration of who you are. We beseech you now, Father, because of the ones that we have mentioned, we ask that you would intervene according to your will in each of their care. We thank you for answered prayer on behalf of so many, and we do lift them up to you and ask that you would <clears throat> play the great physician once again in their heart, in their souls, in their physical well-being. We do pray, Father, as that you would guide us this evening as we look at uh, this ninth chapter of Exodus that you would be with uh, our children and our youth as they're likewise studying the Word of God, and prepare us for the workaday world as we leave here this evening, and as you open doors to share our faith, may we do so in the power of the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, <clears throat> Exodus chapter 9, this will probably move pretty quickly this evening, <clears throat> So, this is, uh, we we started a couple of weeks ago now looking at the seventh plague, which is hail, and we spent some time talking about uh, what was taking place there in uh, Egypt. We also looked at Psalm 11, Revelation 8, and Revelation 16, and also Proverbs 1 as the reference to what's <clears throat> taking place uh, in this uh, seventh plague. So, we're going to... Look at uh, a very interesting thing. Look at verse 27. Read through the end of the chapter. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous, and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more thundering and uh, hail, for it is enough, and I'll let you go, and you shall stay no longer. So Moses said to him, As soon as I have gone out of the city, I will spread out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But, as for you and your servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord. Now, the flax and the barley were struck, for the barley was in the head, and the flax was in bud. In other words, it was in uh, full harvest. But the wheat and the smelt were not struck, for they are late crops. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and spread out his hands to the Lord. And then the thunder... And the hail ceased, and the rain was not poured out on the earth. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain, the hail, and the thunder had ceased, he sinned yet more. And he hardened his heart, he and his servants. So the heart of Pharaoh was hard, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Um, This is, if I recall, I think it's the fourth time now that Moses has stood before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh has essentially said that uh, he is repenting and he's going to let the Hebrew children go. And then, of course, he's lying and he changes his mind. We had talked about, if you look at the second bullet there, that uh, the plagues that God is raining down on uh, Egypt are specifically focused on their pantheon on the Egyptian um, pagan gods. And in this particular one, it's the god, god Newt, who's a sky goddess. So, in the verses that we've read, Pharaoh falsely repents. He is basically sorry, again, that he's caught. There's no true repentance here. We know that because he doesn't change. Uh, biblical repentance requires a change of heart. <clears throat> and As we see here, his heart grows harder. Uh, When you read these until we get to the end of this particular chapter, what we find, of course, is it sounds like perfect words of repentance from Pharaoh. And this is not unique with Pharaoh. No doubt millions of people have said the very same thing and really have not repented. So there's no true... Repentance. He's grieved at the result of his sin, and we find out later in chapter ten that his uh, Pharaoh's cabinet, so to speak, tells him, "Don't you, don't you yet know that Egypt is destroyed? Let these people go." And of course, he's just he's he's probably in pain over the the his people, but certainly his pride is reigning supreme at this particular time. I want to spend the rest of the time this evening. It says, uh, the last bullet is, Pharaoh says that I have sinned. Judas Iscariot said the same thing. But there was no repentance and no change. And so there are eight such confessions in Scripture. Five of them are insincere, and only three of them are sincere. Go Go to the next slide, if you would, Tim. So we have seen here in verse 27 what's taking place wrote this is a false repentance. And he is now, every time there's false repentance, the heart becomes harder. So that's one of the things that we need to remember in our minds. It's also one of the things that we need to teach our children. We talked this morning about responsibility. We have a responsibility to be true to what the Spirit of God has laid on our Hearts. Now, we're going to look at the rest of these tonight, and then we'll close this out. Go with me to Numbers chapter 22. <clears throat> Numbers 22. This is a story, in fact, it goes on for about three chapters of uh, uh, the false prophet Balaam. Uh, it's a great story here that we see in uh, Scripture, and Balaam, of course, is a Uh, is the epitome of the double-minded man. He wants to please Balak, which is uh, king of uh, the Moabites. And he also wants to try to to please the Israelites. And that's just something that uh, uh, cannot be done. Uh, Look at verse 28. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said, we have the... This record, the donkey speaking to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And the interesting thing is that Balaam carries on the conversation with the donkey. He doesn't step back and say, whoa, something's going on here. So uh, the Lord opened the mouth. Balaam said to the donkey, because you've abused me, I wish there was a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. Uh, so the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he, Balaam, said no. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes. He saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you, because your way is perverse it's twisted the word perverse means twisted you have twisted what i have given you something that is holy which is a message you from me you have taken and you have twisted the donkey saw me turned aside from me these three times she had not turned aside from me surely i would also have killed you by now and let her live and balaam said to the angel of the lord I have sinned, for I do not know that you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. And so Balaam is the epitome of a double-minded man. this goes on for um, a number of uh, chapters. And look at uh, chapter 24 and verse 1. I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on this, but 24 and verse 1, it says, um, when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, I want to bless Balak of the Moabites, I also want to bless Israel. When he saw that it was okay to bless Israel, he didn't, uh, did not go as at other times to seek the use of sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And all of these things that take place, of course, and uh, it is uh, a sad, sad indication of what takes place uh, in the life of Balaam and Balaam of course is mentioned in the New Testament as one that was uh, a double minded man so Balaam did not repent let's look at a man by the name of Achan go to Joshua chapter 7 Moses is dead Joshua is leading the Hebrew people into the to the covenant land, and uh, Achan doesn't like the fact that the Lord has chosen Joshua to lead the Hebrew people. He is uh, thinking that it is, uh, that he could do just so he could do a better job than Joshua. There's a lot of that not only years ago, but some of that today. But notice what's taking place here, uh, verse 19. Now Joshua said to Achan, my son, I beg you, give glory to the Lord God of Israel and make confession to him and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua and said, indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel and this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils of the beautiful, a beautiful Babylonian garment 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and I took them. And there they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Joshua sent messages. They went to the tent. And indeed, they found what uh, Achan had said. Verse 24, Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan the son of Zerah, the silver, the garment, the wedge of, of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that he had. This is holiness. This is what holiness means. Everything Achan had was unholy, including his family. So Joshua said, he takes him to the valley of Achor, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. So all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned him with fire after they had stoned him with stones. They raised over him a great heap of stones still there to this day, so the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the Valley of Achor to this day. So second individual. He's, it's very doubtful that he, well, he wasn't penitent. He just, uh, Joshua caught him in a lie, and he finally told the truth. That that's not satisfactory. That wasn't the way that Lord, the Lord intended. Let's look at Saul, 1 Samuel 15 talked briefly of Saul this morning and David, of course. And Saul is an example of an insincere man. So in this particular passage, uh, this is uh, the the, uh, story of Saul sparing King uh, Agag of the Amalekites after God had told him to kill him. Verse 9, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that were good. They were unwilling to utterly destroy them. Again, holiness, separate. God does not care what it's worth. Uh, so he had given Saul a command, and everything was despised and worthless that they utterly destroyed now verse 10 the word of the lord came to samuel saying i greatly regret that i have set up saul as king for he has turned back from following me has not performed my commandments and it grieved samuel and he cried out to the lord all night so when samuel rose early in the morning to meet saul it was told samuel saying Saul went to uh, Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, and he's gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilead, Gilgal. And Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you in the Lord. I perform the commandment of the Lord. And he lied. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? you got a lot more livestock than you had prior to this battle, Saul. Where did they come from? And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the people. This is a sign of a poor leader. The people made me do it. They spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. The rest they have utterly destroyed. And Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. Shut up. Is what he said. And I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night, and of course he does. He goes on. uh, Verse 20, and Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of God and gone on the mission in which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag of Amalek. I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the plunder. They took the sheep. They took the oxen, the best of the things. Sacrifice to the Lord your God. See, what Saul was attempting to do is say, listen, we've got all these sheep, we have the, the oxen, we have all this, and we're, we're bringing them back to Israel so that we can sacrifice them. The Lord should be pleased. Look what I have done. And so Samuel said, and this is one of the great passages in the Old Testament, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? <clears throat> Behold, to obey is better than to sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams, and rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft. This is precisely what Saul had done. Stubbornness is, is an iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He also has rejected you from being king. And the next chapter is David being anointed king. So verse 32, Samuel said, Bring Agag, the king of the Amalekites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously, as you can imagine. And Agag said, Surely the bitterness of death is past. I mean, you have all of these goods. You have the wealth of the of Amalek. Samuel said, As your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgag. Now that's a prophet. Okay? So Saul was an insincere man. And the Lord removed him from being king of Israel. Uh, let's look at Judas, the, the uh, repentance of despair. Matthew 27. There are those that would say that what Judas did was because the scripture says that uh, he repented, um, that he, uh, he gained a favorable disposition with the Lord. But that's not what the scripture says. Verse 3, then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, Jesus was remorseful, brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they say, what is that to us? You see to it. We don't care. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple. He departed, and he went out and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it's not lawful to put them in the treasury because they are the price of blood. They consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. And it's thought that, we can't confirm this, but it's thought that this, the first person buried in this field of blood was Judas. So it's the repentance of despair. There's no true remorse here. And obviously, he was, um, he was called the son of perdition by the Lord Jesus. So, no hope for Judas this particular time. Um, While we're in the New Testament, let's look at the prodigal in Luke chapter 15. (coughs) Luke 15, a great passage on on lost sheep, lost coins, lost sons, those that uh, are away and wayward from God. Now now we'll see one of the sincere individuals that repents. Verse 17, when he came to himself, this is the prodigal, He said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And then one of those beautiful passages of Scripture, and he arose and went to his father. What a remarkable passage of Scripture. So, in all of his debauchery, and he did live proud of this, a debauched life, in all of this, the omnipotence of grace reigned in the prodigal's life. Let's go back and look at uh, Job, in Job chapter (coughs) 6. Won't read the entire chapter, but notice <clears throat> what is happening. Verse 1 <clears throat> Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief was fully weighed, and my calamity laid with it on the scales. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, my words have been rash, for the arrows of the Almighty are within me. My spirit drinks in their poison. The terrors of God are arraigned against me. He goes through this litany, basically, of what's taking place uh, in his life. But um, you will notice that in this particular passage, if we read on, look at uh, verse 14. To him who is afflicted, we talked about affliction this morning, kindness should be shown by his friend, even though he forsakes the fear of the Almighty. My brothers have dealt deceitfully like a brook like the streams of the brooks that pass away, which are dark because of the ice and into which the snow vanishes. When it is warm, they cease to flow. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The paths of their way turn aside. They go nowhere and perish. The caravans of Tima look. The travelers of Sheba look for them. They are disappointed because they were confident. They come here and are confused. For now, you are nothing. You see terror and are afraid. Did I ever say bring something to me or offer a bribe for me from your wealth or deliver me from the enemy's hands or redeem me from the hand of the oppressor? Teach me and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein I have erred. Have forceful or right words, but what does arguing prove? So Job obviously has, and if you read the entire chapter, you see it more in uh, this fullness, but there's a godly repentance that takes place in the life of Job. And then finally tonight, 2 Samuel, this is David repenting after his sin with Bathsheba. Now remember, David had thought. And Bathsheba had thought that their sin had been covered up with um, the killing, the murder, rather, of um, uh, Bathsheba's uh, husband, uh, Uriah the Hittite. And of course, the, the child is born, and that's what takes place in, in chapter 12. And uh, Nathan the prophet, another prophet, stands before David. Now, the difference here between Nathan uh, and uh, Balaam is when you look at Samuel and you look at Nathan, they are true to what God has called them to do. Balaam, not so much. So, one of the great, <laughs> again, one of the great verses in all the scriptures then the Lord sent Nathan. To David it's good when the Lord sends somebody to us to correct us. then the Lord sent Nathan to David. What a remarkable passage of scripture of course we are told um, that um, Nathan stands before David tells the parable of the of the little you lamb, the poor man had, and the rich man stole the lamb. And verse 5, so David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. He shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. So David, obviously a very emotional man. He's a very compassionate man. He talks about his heart. And David, Nathan said to David, you're the man Uh, And the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, I delivered you from the hand of Saul, I gave you the master's house your master's wives, I gave you the house of Israel, and if that had been too little, I would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord and do evil in his sight? And so, now therefore, verse 10, the sword shall never depart from your house. From this time on, David's about 40. He lived to be 70 for 30 years in his latter years. He had nothing but disappointment, heartache, and affliction. And the Lord loved him, but the Lord still dealt with him to change his heart. And he said, I'll raise up adversity against you. I'll take your wives from before your eyes, give them to your neighbor, you did this secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the Son. So this is, in reality, this is the grace of God. Now, we don't look at it this way, but it is. It's the grace of God. The Lord certainly would have been within his uh, omnipotence to take the life of David at this time. But he didn't. In verse 13, David said to Nathan, The Lord sent Nathan to David. Nathan says to David, David reports back to Nathan. And he's not upset at the prophet. He says, I've sinned against the Lord. <clears throat> and, you know, just, just a remarkable, remarkable passage of scripture, scripture. The child dies. David pleads for the Lord to or the child was born rather than David pleads for the Lord to to, uh, continue the child's life but the Lord took the child and uh, verse 20 so David arose from the ground he washed he anointed himself he changed his clothes he went into the house of the Lord and he worshipped this is a sign of true repentance Pharaoh, or Moses had told Pharaoh, I know that you don't fear the Lord. And I know as soon as I'm gone, you're going to change your mind. But I'm going to do what you ask. So, this hardening of the heart, we see this in the five individuals that are mentioned, and then the three, of course, that where the Spirit of God softened their hearts and they responded. The hardening of the heart against God is sin. We can paint it any other way we want to, but it's still sin. When we fail to repent, when God has graciously answered our plea, what we're doing is ignoring his mercy. That's what Pharaoh did. That's what Balaam did. That's what Achan did. That's what Saul did. That's what Judas did. They ignored the mercy and grace of God. What Job, David, and the prodigal did was they fell prostrate prostrate and accepted the mercy and grace of God that should be our takeaway this evening any comments or questions on what we've covered (coughs) let's pray father we thank you tonight for your word for these wonderful stories that are contained in old testament and new testament may we hide these words in our heart that we may not sin against you as we depart from here this evening God and direct us into truth, God and and wisdom, and open doors that we may share our faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.